All right, well, let's go to the word, uh, to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come here today gathered in your name. Lord, I pray that your will would be done with our hearts and our minds today, Lord. That you would remove our own desires, our own pleasures or preferences, God, and just let you take control of all of who we are, God, as your word speaks to us, it guides us, and shows us who you've created us to be. And Father, I just thank you for this opportunity. I pray that you would bless us at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, moving forward through the Sermon on the Mount, still in chapter 5. Today we're going to be looking at verses 33 through 37. I want to make one thing clear. It's not a difficult theological passage. I promise you we will not be breaking any theological codes today. This is a passage that we can read. Anybody can pick up the Bible, read through this, and pretty much get what Jesus is trying to teach us here. It's not something where you have to go back to the history books or the commentaries and, and look for a lot of deep understanding here. It's very, very simple. But what he is saying, the things that Jesus is teaching here, is so incredibly important for us. We call ourselves disciples of Christ. This is what we need to hear. This is what we need to be. People of integrity. I've titled the sermon today, How is Your Integrity? And as we go through this message and as we go through the background of what's going on here and just take some practical looks at this, I want you to answer that question and I want you to be thinking that as we go through. How is your integrity? And I might challenge you in a few ways today on how that is and, and what your vision of your own integrity may look like. Integrity, it's, it's a word that we hear a lot. Most of, it, most of us know what the definition of integrity is. But in case you don't, let me share with you a very simple definition of integrity. Integrity is doing the right thing at all times, even when nobody else is watching. Even when nobody else is watching. So basically it means an uprightness of character. An honest person at all times. Not sure if anybody has noticed or not, but in our country and in our world today, we are suffering from a lack of integrity. In all aspects, across the board. In many cases, and maybe this is true for you, but when we go into a transaction with people or some, or, or some sort of deal with people, how many of you often expect the worst from the person? You know, it just seems to be when we go into something with somebody, we just expect the worst. We just don't expect people to, to really keep their word anymore. Politics has gotten to the point to where we elect politicians into the office and we just almost expect them at one point to just fall back on their word and lack integrity. It's just the truth of the country we live in. Which reminds me of a funny old story. It's an old farmer who's working out in his field. He's out there doing his, his daily chores and he looks over and on the road he sees a busload of politi uh, politicians driving by. 
So the farmer, as he's watching, out of nowhere, the bus swerves, runs off the road, and crashes into a tree. So as any good Samaritan would, the farmer gets up and he runs over to the bus and he inspects the mayhem. He's looking around at the catastrophe of of what happened. It's a terrible scene. And so the farmer proceeds to go into his field, dig a hole, and to bury the politicians. A few days goes by. The local sheriff comes out, sees the bus, crashed into the tree still sitting there. And the sheriff asks the farmer, he says, what happened to all the politicians? And the farmer says, well, I buried him over here in my field. Sheriff's like, wait a minute, there was no coroner here. How do you know they were all dead? And the farmer says, well, some of them said they weren't. (laughs) But you know how those politicians lie. (laughs) Anyone here old Paul Harvey fans? Paul Harvey? I remember when I was growing up, I spent a lot of time living at my grandparents' house. And every day when I would wake up, there was two sounds that were always happening in the house. The first one was the shuffling of cards. And the second one was Paul Harvey's voice. It's very nostalgic for me to hear Paul Harvey's voice. Paul Harvey one time told a story of four young men who were late to class. They get to class and they walk in solemnly and they proceed to tell the teacher that they had gotten a flat tire, and that's why they were late. The teacher looks at them sympathetically, and she says, well, that's too bad. We had a very, very important test to take this morning. But the professor was willing to allow them to make it up. So here's what she did. She gave each one of the four young men a piece of paper and a pencil and told them to go to four different corners of the room. And she said, you will pass the test if you can answer one question, which tire was flat? Right, integrity, integrity. Seems as though looking for people integrity in our world today, it's, to use the old adage, it's like finding a needle in a haystack. Integrity is something that is very rare indeed in our men and women, but my question for you today is, are you one of them? Are you a person of integrity? Or do you readily back out of promises that you have made? Is your life characterized by integrity? Because the Bible says it should be. The Bible's very clear. Our lives must be characterized by integrity. In this part of the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to look at today, Jesus is going to teach us that we as his disciples, must be as good as our word. The things that we say, we must be and do. Let's look at Jesus on integrity. So go ahead and open with me to Matthew chapter 5, and let's read verses 33 through 37. And it says this, Jesus is teaching. He says, Again you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath." but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, don't even take an oath at all, either by heaven, because it is God's throne, or by earth, because it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, 
because you cannot make a single hair white or black. But let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more is from the evil one. So let's start with this. First thing that we see Jesus say is, you have heard that it was said from our ancestors. So immediately that means we must go back and hear what was said. What did the ancestors say? So let's take a quick vow history in the Old Testament. Let me be clear on one thing. It was not a good idea to make a vow in those times, especially if it was one that you couldn't keep. Let's start with Leviticus 19.12. It says this, Do not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of your God. All right, got it. Numbers chapter 30 verse 2 says, When a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to put himself under obligation. So we see two different things there. We see one making a vow to the Lord or even making a promise to put himself under obligation. He must not break his word. He must do what he has promised. And then Deuteronomy 23, 23 says, be careful to do whatever comes from your lips. Because you have freely vowed what you promised to the Lord. What we see in these, these just short few verses is that God takes our vows, our promises, and the words that come from our mouth very seriously. All of them. If you made a vow, a promise, or an obligation to man or to the Lord, you were obligated by law to keep that vow. An oath or a vow is a very serious statement. A very serious statement. It's a declaration oftentimes made with an appeal to God to back up what you are trying to affirm. Now here's the thing about these Old Testament vows and obligations. If you followed through with it and you kept your vow, it meant life. If you didn't follow through and you didn't keep your vow, it could mean death. Very serious. Oftentimes, People today make that appeal to God. How many of you heard this? I swear to God, I'll do it. I swear. Why do people do this? Well, it's because they want you to take them seriously. They want you to hear what they're saying and think that you're going to follow through with what you have to say. They want you to trust them. God says if you make that vow, you better keep it. Because if you invoke a vow in God's name and do not keep it, you will be bringing dishonor to his name. So vows in the Old Testament were very serious. It could mean life or death. You were obligated by law to keep them. Now let's look at the practice of vows, what was going on in Jesus' day as he's sitting there speaking to his followers at the Sermon on the Mount. Now we know that the scribes and the Pharisees of those days, being who they were, not the most upright and honest people, they were uh, always trying to find ways to get out of their vows and their obligations. So when you look at verses uh, 34 through 36 and what Jesus is saying here, he speaks of these different types of vows that, that these people were making of those days. He says that there was vows being made by heaven, earth, 
by Jerusalem and your head. Now here's the practice that was going on in those days. If you were making a vow that you didn't intend to keep, or one that you weren't possibly sure that you could follow through with, you would make a vow on one of these things. Heaven, earth, Jerusalem, or your head. Now, we do the same thing today. Uh, sometimes we'll remove God from it. I swear on my mom, I'll pay you back. Right? They're like, what's, what's going to happen to your mom, really, if you don't do it? Right? See, you haven't invoked God into the transaction. Is this the thinking behind this? There was an interesting practice that the religious leaders had in those days when an oath was broken. They would bring you to court, put you in front of the judge, judges. And what they would do is they would try to judge how close your oath came to God. Depending on how close it was to God is whether it had to be fulfilled and you had to be punished. Or if it didn't come that close to God, then it wasn't valid. It wasn't something that had to be taken care of. There were whole sections and teachings that dealt with vows to find out whether or not they were valid or not. Now, let me just try and explain it a little bit to you here. So swearing by heaven or earth was not considered a valid, a valid vow. It was one that if you broke it, it wasn't too big of a deal. Nor was swearing by Jerusalem. But, get this, if you sweared towards Jerusalem, that was a vow that must be kept. I went to try and figure out why that was, and it goes back to the time of the exile, when the Jewish people had been removed from Jerusalem and taken to Babylon. And you can find this in the book of Daniel as well. But what they would do is they would pray towards Jerusalem, the place where the temple was, the Ark of the Covenant, and, and the Spirit of God, the presence of God was, they would pray towards Jerusalem, which then in turn became, well, now I promise towards Jerusalem. I swear towards Jerusalem. The idea was carried into their vows. But the whole idea of these rules that the, that the Pharisees and the scribes that they were coming up with was this idea that if God's name was used, then he becomes a partner in the transaction. And if his name wasn't used, then he had nothing to do with it. And so they were trying to get in and out of their obligations. Having said all of that, now turn with me now just a few chapters forward to Matthew chapter 23. And what we're going to do here is we're going to look at what Jesus is saying about these types of vows and the, the reasoning behind these vows that were being made. So in chapter 23, I'm going to read verses 16 through 24. Actually, 20. Yeah, 16 through 24. And this is what Jesus says. He says, Woe to you blind guides who say, Whoever takes an oath by the temple, it means nothing. But whoever takes an oath by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. Blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? Also, whoever takes an oath by the altar, it means nothing. But whoever takes an oath by the gift that is on the altar is bound by his oath. Blind people, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, the one who takes an oath by the altar takes an oath by it and by everything on it. 
The one who takes an oath by the temple takes an oath by it and by him who dwells in it. And the one who takes an oath by heaven takes an oath by God's throne and by him who sits on it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, and, you let, and you, yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These things should have been done without neglecting the others. Blind guides, you strain out a gnat and gulp down a camel. So what you see is this practice of of oaths that they had. Well, this was a valid oath. This wasn't a valid oath. And if we promise on this, then it doesn't mean anything. But if we do on this, it means everything. Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying very, very seriously that we are bound by anything that comes out of our mouth. It doesn't matter what you promise on. If you say it, you are bound by what comes out of your mouth. This all boils down to a lack of integrity on the part of the, the scribes and the Pharisees and anybody who took part in this practice. There was no integrity. They were trying to find ways out of their promises. This mindset was being passed on to generation after generation. My question for us today is do we still do the same thing? Do we ever make promises that we don't intend to keep? Sometimes do we say yes to doing things just to get somebody off of our back with never intending to follow through? How many times have we promised our children that we'd take them somewhere or to do something only to let them down? Maybe we do this because we think that a promise to our children isn't as important as other obligations that may arise. How many times have we promised to do things for Jesus, the growth of his kingdom and the church, only to fall short because it seems a bit inconvenient? Here's a big one. How many times have you said you would pray for someone only to not have done it? I heard a story about an old preacher on Sunday morning. He was talking to his congregation at the end of service. And he tells everyone in the service, he says, all right, guys, I want every single one of you to go home this week and read Joshua chapter 25. Next Sunday comes. At the beginning of the service, the preacher stands up on the stage and he says, by a show of hands, I want you to all raise your hand if you did what I told you to do and read Joshua chapter 25. About half the people's hands go up. And then he says, all right, if your hand is not up, go home because today's sermon is about lying. And then he goes on to tell them there's only 24 chapters in Joshua. Here's another one we struggle with. This is a big one too. When we tell someone we're going to be somewhere at a certain place in time, are you there on time? Or are you late? What if you were there to receive a check for $10 million and you had to be there on the dot at 10.30? I bet you'd be there then. But the truth is, we get hung up or other things get in the way. 
Many of the, of the people in, in Jesus' days, they would find ways to get out of their promises and obligations. They would look for technicalities to keep avoiding a, a promise or a vow. We must be careful to avoid not doing the same thing. Now let's look at the standard that Jesus sets for us, those who would call ourselves his disciples. He says one thing, make no oath at all. People haven't changed much from Jesus' day. The times change, the world changes, but we as people are exactly the same. People don't change. And just as much as those scribes and Pharisees were trying to find ways to get out of obligations by promising some, on something here that was not an obligating vow, we haven't changed much. I want to share with you what William Barclay says in his commentary on this section in Matthew. He says this, Here is a great eternal truth. Life cannot be divided into compartments in some of which God is involved and others of which he is not involved. There cannot be one kind of language in the church and another kind of language in the shipyard or the factory or the office. There cannot be one kind of standard of conduct in the church and another kind of standard in the business world. The fact is that God does not need to be invited into certain departments of life and kept out of others. He is everywhere, all through life and every activity of life. He hears not only our words which are spoken in his name, he hears all words. And there cannot be any such thing as a form of words which evades bringing God into a transaction. We will regard all promises as sacred if we remember that all promises are made in the presence of God. Wow. And here's what Jesus is saying. God owns everything. There is nothing in this world that we can find, touch, see, or do that God does not own. It doesn't matter if we swear by Jerusalem, by the temple, on our mom, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Everything is done in the presence of God. And the reason that we should not swear at all or make oaths on anything is because we don't own anything. And none of it is in our control. So there's absolutely nothing by which we can rightfully swear. In verse 37, Jesus says, let our yes be yes and our no be no. As followers of Christ, we should have a reputation of being truthful and honest people. A people whose yes means yes and a people whose no means no. We should not have to be a people that have to make a swear or an oath for people to believe us. There are two main ways that we can show integrity. And the first one is with our words. Jesus' little brother James echoes what Jesus says in James 5.12. He says, Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. But let your yes mean yes and your no mean no so that you will not fall under judgment. 
And then in 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul instructs Timothy, he says, don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for believers in speech, in conduct, in faith, and in purity. It all boils down to integrity. It's all about integrity. In short, again, uh, integrity, and I want to give you another definition from a man named Ted Ingstrom. He gave a great definition on integrity, and I want to share that with you today. He says, simply put, integrity is doing what you said you would do. It means you keep your promises. When you promised to be faithful to your mate, integrity says that you'll stay with that person no matter what, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. If you promised that you would give the Lord the glory, integrity means that you keep on doing that whether you're reduced to nothing or exalted to the highest pinnacle on earth. If you promised a friend you would return a call, integrity means you return it. If you promised your child that you would spend Saturday together, integrity means that you keep that appointment. A promise is a holy thing, whether made to the chairman of the board or to a child. What comes out of our mouth is done in the presence of God. Period. Secondly, we are to show integrity with our actions. Paul told Timothy in the passage that we, the passage that we just read, to show yourself and to prove yourself with conduct. Words are just words without action behind them. I can tell you, I play baseball for the California Angels, but if I'm not on the field playing, that doesn't mean anything, right? Actions back up our words. And Paul is teaching Timothy that. Show yourself in conduct. Prove yourself in the person that you are. As a youth pastor, I'm gonna pick on myself for just a second. Now I promise this is not a true story. Don't go home telling everybody this. During a Sunday school class, a youth pastor was wanting to impress upon himself a class of boys the importance of living the Christian life. And he asked them, why do you think people call me a Christian? And after a long pause, one boy speaks up and says, maybe it's because they don't know you. <laughs> Not a true story, once again, I promise. But the truth is that our actions back up our words. Words are worthless without our actions. Here's the thing. We show what is important to us. We show what our priorities are by what we do. If it's your kids that are important to you, your actions will back that up. My family is important to me. And they know it because they're my priority. Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president of the United States. Many of us know Abraham Lincoln by his nickname, Honest Abe. Everybody's heard that, right? Well, here's just one of the many, many stories of how Abraham Lincoln got that nickname. At the age of 24, Abraham Lincoln served as the postmaster of New Salem, Illinois, for which he was paid an annual salary of $55.70. Even then, 24 years before he entered the White House, the rail splitter was showing the character that earned him the title of Honest Abe. The New Salem Post Office was closed in 1836, but it was several years before an agent arrived from Shington to settle accounts with ex-postmaster Lincoln. 
At the time, he was a struggling lawyer and was not doing well. The agent informed him that $17, almost half of his salary, was due to the government from the closing of the New Salem post office. Lincoln stands up, crosses the room, and he opened an old trunk and took out a yellow rag bound with a string. Untying it, he spread out the cloth, and there was the $17. He had been holding it untouched for all these years. He says, I've never used any man's money but my own. That is integrity. So then what can we do? What should we do? First, and most important, if we are to be people of integrity, we must first take our position in Christ seriously. Now I realize there will always be unforeseen circumstances, things that happen, but those must be the exception and not the rule. I've got five practical things for us today. Now, there's nothing special in these things. They're not rocket science. They're not some revolutionary thing that's going to change the world. But five practical ways that we can work on our integrity. The first one is set your priorities. If God is your priority, then do not make commitments that will get in the way of doing what you promised God. This can be a lot of things. I know we have lived busy lives. We have kids and sports and all these things that keep us out of church. But if your most important priority is God, then don't make commitments that will get in the way of that. Don't let everything under the sun get in the way of what you promised to God or your family. Number two, if you are married or are getting married, you have or are about to make an oath or a vow before God. Make sure you go into this realizing that. And make your priorities sustaining that vow at all costs. Marriage is an important one. It is one of the few promises that we make before God under an institution that he has set before us. An incredibly important vow that we must do everything we can to keep. Number three. If you are a person who has trouble being on time, get a watch, easy enough. Set alarms, make reminders. Here's the best one, get ready early. Leave early. And we had a saying in the military, if you're not 15 minutes early, you're late. Make that yours. If you know you have to be somewhere at 10.30 and you know it takes you a long time to get ready and the traffic might be bad, leave early. Sit in the parking lot and wait. Whatever it takes. Number four. If you say you will pray for somebody, write it down. I know oftentimes and I'll be driving in the car or whatever it is and I'll be talking to somebody and I say I'm going to pray for them. A lot happens between the time you're driving and you get home and you may forget. 
Find a way to pull over, whatever it takes, write it down. If you promise somebody that you're going to pray for them, they're going through something and they need the prayer. If you say you're going to do it, do it. Write it down so you don't forget. Keep a journal. Write these things down throughout your day. Here's another one. Number five. If you're telling somebody you're going to do something for them, write it down. If your answering machine on your phone says you're going to call somebody back, what do you think you should do? Call them back. Look, integrity is an attitude. And it takes a commitment to maintain. Make sure that when you commit to something, you do what you say you will do. And if you stumble, if something happens and you can't make it or you fall through, don't make excuses. Ask for forgiveness. Too many times, my pride will get in the way, and if I let somebody down, I'll come up with a hundred of excuses of why I couldn't be there when all the whole time, all I need to be doing is asking for forgiveness and apologizing. Because things happen. But excuses are not integrity. Here's a sad truth. The outside world does not see or know our God. but they will judge our God by the way we treat each other and we treat the outside world. We must be people of integrity when we deal with all people. As we read earlier, there is no part of life which we can separate God from. And every action that we do, every word that comes out of our mouth is in the presence of God. We are bound by what we say. Jesus should affect how we conduct ourselves. It's plain and simple. When we say we are going to do something, it should be as good as done. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 7 says, A righteous man acts with integrity, and his children who come after him will be happy. Be a person who people can count on. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, help us as we live lives in a world that is lost, God, and we oftentimes become molded or a part of this outside world, God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would guide us and give us the right things to say. Tell us when we should say yes and when we should nay. say no, God. We need you because on our own we will fail. Lord, I pray that your Spirit would guide us daily. And as we leave here today and we go spend time with friends and family watching football, Lord, that integrity and you will be at the center of everything that we do, the words that we say and our actions, God. We love you and we know that you want what's good for us and that you are what is good for us, God. Help us to see your truth in every aspect of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.